We are in the middle of a discussion of this Mishnah of someone who's going away on a trip and he tells his wife, any vows that you make from now until I come back, they should be uh, annulled. And this was a machloket. Chachamim said, doesn't work. You can't just annul things for the future. But Abiyah says it does work. And he proved this from a Kavachomet um, that if a husband can nullify vows that already exist in the past and there already is a prohibition, then all the more so he can preempt and nullify vows that have not yet created a prohibition. All right, so that was the Kavachomer, and the Gemara then asks, according to Rabbi Eliezer, should we assume that it, when he does make such a declaration preemptively, and then a few days later the wife makes a vow, is it that the vow applies, creates a prohibition, and then is canceled a second later? Or is it that it's kind of protection, a force field, shield, and the vow does not ever even come into existence at all? That was our question. We saw three proofs uh, in different ways, and now we're going to see a fourth and last proof, and this one actually will work. Tashema. Amad lehem be Eliezer. This is from a Baraita. We already quoted parts of the Baraita. And uh, here it's uh, the rabbis that are saying to the Beliezer, Uma zira'im temeim, kevan she zira'an bekarka tehorin, zira'in ve'omdin, lo kol sheken. The argument by the Beliezer to prove his point that yes, you can nullify from, from before it happens, before he goes away, is from by comparing his kavachomet that he made in the Mishnah to the following kavachomet and say they're the same thing, and so you should, you should agree to both of them. Kavachomet works like this: if someone has seeds, right, uh, that he's going to plant, these seeds became tameh. Seeds uh, they can become tameh; they're a food item. Um, However, uh, um, they became tameh. Once he plants them in the ground, they become tahor. There's a general rule. Anything that is part of the ground, connected to the ground, cannot become tameh. Right? If you have a tree, even if a dead body touches the tree, lies on the tree, doesn't matter. A tree can never become tameh. Um, you know, a, 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 a plant uh, in the ground, a carrot, tomato, anything. When it's connected to the ground, it does not become tameh. Only after you pull it out of the ground and it becomes wet and and then touches something or goes into a place that's tameh, only then it can become tameh. And so this works the other way around also. If you have seeds that are tameh, once you plant them into the ground and they take root, now they're a part of the ground, they're connected to the ground, that's it. Their tumah leaves them. So if seeds that are tameh, I can plant them into the ground and become tahor, then zidu'in ve'omdin, if they already are planted, all the more so, they cannot even become tameh. Um, if they, in other words, if they were tameh, because they were out of the ground, and I put them in the ground, they become tahor. Then, if they were always in the ground and never became tameh, all the more so that if uh, a dead uh, something comes along and touches it, all the more so, it will remain tahod. Right? So being in the ground, not only does it make something pure, because it makes something pure, all the more so, it prevents purity from t- attaching to it. Um, and so that is the analogy is, so too, a vow that already exists, 
um, a husband can come and nullify it afterwards. So all the more so, if it has not, uh, does not exist yet, a husband can preemptively say, I don't want future vows to apply, and they won't apply. Okay, that's his argument. Now we can learn our answer from here. We can learn that lachailin, it does not, the vow does not apply to begin with. By analogy to the tum'ah, Tum'ah, the dead body that comes and touches a tree, that it's not that the tree becomes tamer for a second, but then the ground uh, makes it tahor. No, it doesn't work that way. That way, It's not even susceptible to tum'ah at all. It's not within the category. So since he's making this analogy, so too vows do not, be, do not apply at all if the husband preemptively nullified them. And this sticks. This is a valid uh, answer to the question. All right, good. Now that we have that, we're going to ask about Rabbanan because this is like a pretty good Kavachomer. The, he, they gave a Kavachomer, Rabbi Eliezer gave a Kavachomer in the, in the Mishnah. He has another, another Kavachomer here. So we ask Rabbanan, Rabbanan, what's the matter? You don't like Kavachomers? Now, of course, everyone uses a Kavachomer. There's no rabbi in the whole, uh, uh, in the whole Talmud that denies all Kavachomer, but there is Machloket about how to apply it. What's interesting about this Kavachomer, both this one here and the one in the Mishnah, is that we're not comparing two different items, but rather we're comparing the very same item with two different time periods, right? If it works afterwards, then certainly it should work before. And the, would the rabbis agree with this type of Kavachomer? We say yes, they do, because look at the following Braita, which is Rabbanan. This is not only to be Eliezer. Is a man allowed to sell off his daughter once she becomes a Na'ara, when she becomes a, about 12 years old? Amarta Kavachomer Mechura. Well, there's a Torah law that, um, the basic Torah law that a, a father can sell his minor daughter. It doesn't sound as bad as it is. Uh, it's, not, it's not as bad as it sounds, although it is still kind of something we wouldn't want to do today. The idea is if a family is poor, down and out, they can't even feed their daughter. They would sell their daughter to another family, but not as it's not as selling as a slave, uh, selling for marriage. The idea is that that girl would do chores in that house. They would give her food and shelter and clothing, and then when she comes of age, uh, the that that someone in that family, the guy who bought it or his son, would marry her, and then she would be a regular wife. So it's not not not, not nothing to do with slavery here. Um, it's just a, a marriage. Uh, that's a, a planned marriage from way before and a way to be able to feed the child so that uh, she doesn't starve. Okay, the law there is that if the owner uh, does, does not want, decides he does not want to marry her nor his son, then once she becomes a na'ara, she goes free. Okay, so that's the kavachomet. If um, as someone, a, a girl who is already sold, she goes free once she becomes a na'ara, all the more so if she is free um, when she is a na'ara, that she can't be sold, right? If she was already sold, she would go free. So certainly she can't be sold now that she is a na'ara. That's a kavachomet that the rabbis make. And you see, this is the same genre of kavachomet. We're not comparing two different laws, but rather the very same law in two different time periods, and that's a valid, they, they use it as a valid kavachomer. So, how come Rabbanan would disagree with Rabbi Eliezer's kavachomer here, this one, and more importantly, the one in the Mishnah, uh, that says if a man can nullify vows afterwards, certainly he certainly be able to nullify vows before. 
And we answer, in You're right, in general, the rabbis will accept such a kavachomer. It's not that they have a problem of this type of kavachomer. The problem here is, as the Mishnah already said, the rabbis have a derasha uh, based on the pasuk that says, her husband will ratify or her husband will nullify it. Uh, because back-to-back it compares ratifying to nullifying. So Rabbanan say anything that can be ratified can also be nullified. Anything that cannot be ratified cannot be nullified. And everyone agrees that a husband cannot pre-ratify all future vows that she makes while he's away. That does not work. You can't ratify something that does not exist. And therefore this hekesh comes to nullify the kavachomet and say, sorry, this kavachomet does not work in this case, even though in other cases that logic would work. All right, and that's the conclusion of that Mishnah. And now we get to the next Mishnah. Um, how long does a man have to nullify his wife's vows? Um, it starts on whenever it, it, it starts on at the moment that he hears about it. Um, when it doesn't matter when the vow was made. As soon as he hears about it, he has the entire day. Um, okay, and this as both works for leniency and for stringency. How so? Kesad. If a woman made a vow on Friday night, in that case, the husband can nullify it on Friday night and on Saturday day until sunset. So a day means right all the way until nightfall of the next day. So in that case, he would have, uh, you know, a long time, over 20 hours. Whereas, if she made a vow, we're assuming that he's there and he's hearing it in, uh, 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 live, as she made a vow uh, five minutes before sunset, um, or when it gets dark, whatever uh, we call, whenever it gets dark, a few minutes before it gets dark, um, he and he did not nullify it before it got dark. Um, he, has, he, can, he can nullify it until it gets dark, but that's it. Once it gets dark, even if five, it's only five minutes, that's it. He can no longer uh, nullify it. So the point here in the Mishnah is that we follow from whenever it happens during the 24-hour period of the day, from sunset to sunset, you have only until sunset. So that might be 23 and a half hours, or it might be five minutes, but it always ends at nightfall on that very day. All right, that's the opinion of the Mishnah, that we go till the end of the daytime. Um, however, uh, this is subject to a machloke, Tanya, the Gemara adds, Hafaran de darim kol hayom, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon, Amru me'ait le'et. Tanakama agrees with our Mishnah, that says you have the daytime, meaning the uh, entire uh, night and day until sunset. But it always ends, ends at sunset, and therefore sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 23 and hours, 24 hours less a minute. However, these two sages, Rabbi Yosef, the son of Rabbi Yudah, and Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon, they say it goes, it's a 24-hour period from moment to moment. So if she, if he hears about the vow at 1.34 today, then he can nullify it until 1.34 to 1.33 tomorrow.
מאי טעמה דתנקמה עמד קרא ביום שמעו. Now what is the derivation of תנקמה that it goes by the, the day until nightfall? Because the פסוק says on the day that he hears. Here's the פסוק right here. אי מפר יפר אותם אישה ביום שמעו. On the day that he hears about it, he has to nullify it. So day means until it turns into nightfall. But you see a couple of פסוקים later, it also says מיום אל יום. So uh, each one is emphasizing one or the other. We'll see what each side does with the other phrase. Okay, so he says from Biyom Shamo, Rabbanan Maitamaihu, Tihtib Miyom El Yom. And these two sages, we call them Rabbanan because they're plural, but they're really the minority two sages. This pair, we'll call them. Um, they say 24 hours because it says, from day to day, so that indicates from a certain time on this day to the same time on the next day. Good. According to Tanakama that says it's until nightfall, what is he going to do with the Pasuk that says from day to day? He says, no, I need that Pasuk also, because if I only had on the day that he hears, I would have thought that refers to the daytime, meaning from sunrise until it gets dark. But it can only be nullified during the day, and he cannot nullify it at night. I would have thought that. And therefore, Meyom El Yom comes to teach that he can also nullify at night. So if he hears Friday night, he can nullify it exactly on Friday night. Rambam, by the way, adds that the, 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 the Mishnah uses an example of Friday night to teach that even on Shabbat, he's allowed to nullify vows. Okay, so that's why I need both, that he can do it at night, but the key word is Beyom, uh, that it's only till the end of a day. Always ends at night. Ulman damar miyom el yom hakiti biyom shamo. And according to the pair that say it's a 24-hour period from this day to that day, what do they do with the other phrase on the day that he hears? Yisterich di kiti miyom el yom havamin mechad b'shaba lechad b'shaba leferla kiti biyom shamo. They need it also because if it only said from day to day. That's ambiguous. I would have thought that that meant maybe from Sunday to Sunday, right? Miyom el yom means the same day of the week, um, uh, the same day of the week. And so you have, if it was on Sunday, if it was on Tuesday, then he can nullify it for the whole week until Tuesday from the same day of the week. I could have interpreted it that way. That's why the other pasukam says on this, on that same day, now I know miyom el yom means from the same time on day one to the same exact time on the second day. אמר רבי שמעון בן פזי, אמר רבי יהודה, אמר רבי יהושע בן לוי, אין הלכה כאותו הזוג. סלמן בן פזי, אין אין רבי יהושע בן לוי, says, הלכה, we do not follow that pair, right? It's not from, it's not a 24-hour period, but rather it ends at nightfall. לוי סבל למעבד כהנה תענה, כהנה תנאה, אמר לרב, הכי אמר חביבי, אין הלכה כאותו הזוג. And Levi, he wanted to follow that uh, the, those Tanaim. Um, see, those Tanaim are actually more lenient for the husband because now you always have a 24-hour period no matter what. Um, so he wanted to follow their leniency and uh, allow himself or someone else to, uh, to nullify his wife's vow. But Rav said, no, Habibi, my, my beloved, probably referring to his uncle, Rabbi Chaya, um, Dod also means, you know, uh, a beloved. 
Um, so that's what he called him. He says, no, we do not follow halacha like that pair. Okay, so therefore, we would conclude here that the, it's not like that pair. Um, but we end this suga with just a couple of stories that are, can be interpreted in two different ways. The son of Rav, he would shoot an arrow and examine a vow. Now, this can mean two different things. Either that he was not so careful about nullifying vows in general, and he would be doing some work, shooting arrows, you know, practicing his archery, uh, which needs a lot of concentration. And someone would say, oh, I made a vow. And he would, uh, you know, he would not, he, 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 would, he was so lenient in uh, nullifying vows, he didn't even have to concentrate. He could do something else at the same time. And similarly, Rabah, the son of Rav Huna, he would sit and stand immediately and not make a comprehensive uh, examination. He would sit because he's supposed to sit when you make a judgment. He would be a sit like, okay, so you didn't mean the bow? All right, next. And he would stand up and nullify it uh, easily. That's one interpretation of these two stories. The problem with this interpretation is that it has nothing to do with what came before. It's not about the time period. And so therefore, a different interpretation is that um, it's not he, 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 he held up, he held up a, um, uh, a, a, an arrow and, um, and to see where the shadow would fall so that he would then uh, see, know what time of day it was. So in other words, he was following the opinion that says 24 hours. And he says, oh, I remember it was, uh, you know, around three in the afternoon. So let me see, hold up the arrow and see if it's before three in the afternoon. And similarly, uh, Rabbah would stand up to see his shadow on the ground to see, know what time of day it was so that he could determine whether the 24-hour mark has already come or not. So according to that interpretation, even though we just said that the as there are two opinions and the halakha follow, does not follow that pair. Nevertheless, these two sages seem that they did follow the pair, even though the halakha uh, beforehand follows the Mishnah, which says it ends always at nightfall. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.